0: .NET Rocks episode 943 with guest Julie Lerman. Recorded live Monday, January 13th, 2014.
1: This episode is brought to you by Telerik. Offering the best in developer tools
0: and support. Online at T-E-L-E-R-I-K dot And by Franklins.net, makers of Gesture GesturePack. A powerful gesture recording and recognition system for Microsoft Connect for Windows developers. Details at GesturePAK.com And now, here are Carl and Richard.
2: Hey Phoenix! It's .NET Rocks! Woo!
0: I love right. Phoenix in the wintertime because it's hot in the day and cold at night. I just, you know, it's it's not that cold in Vancouver, but boy, is it gray. And it's yeah. not gray here. No, sunny. Got off the airplane, just blue sky everywhere. <laughs> it's so nice. That's pretty addictive.
2: Especially when you've been, in, you know, encased in ice like we have <laughs> for the last 30 days we more. I guess
0: we've we got to be fair to the folks that are here. We are in Tempe. Yeah, we are. Right beside... Phoenix. Right. Phoenix is sort of one way, Tempe's the other way, but they're, they're close together.
2: Yeah, but it's nice to say we're in Phoenix.
0: I think people know where that is. They know where, where it is. Where, where the weather's really, really nice. Nice. It's very nice here.
2: Hey, let's kick things off with Better Know Framework. Awesome. <laughs> All right, buddy, what do you got? So it's a blog post that I wrote, and I've been going through this process of simplifying things and cool. making abstractions over stuff that uh, that I have written a lot of code around and trying to put in sort of the, the code that I always use and the smarts that I've gained over the years. So this one is on simplifying speech recognition. Okay. So there's code And there, you know you, your way around that? Yeah, I've done quite a bit of that. Sure. So uh, if you go to tinyurl.com slash simplifying speech... Mm-hmm. There's a blog post there. And, um, one of the biggest problems with speech recognition is false positives. Right. Yeah. So you can, you'd think it'd be easy, first of all, to create, uh, to tell the speech recognition engine what you want it to recognize. But right. it turns out there's three or four steps involved. It's not as easy as you think.
0: problem is that speech is so intuitive, right? You don't think about all the things that go into making speech work. That's right. But it can be a lot easier if you just want to
2: do some basic stuff, mm-hmm. right? If you just want to issue some commands, just give it a list of commands. Give it a string that's you know, uh, delimited uh, or an array or something like that. Just make it easy for me. Right. On top of that, um, I, I like to have it running all the time. And for that reason, you don't want it to be recognizing a whole bunch of stuff because if you s- accidentally say, you know, format my hard drive, it's going to go formatting your hard drive,
0: <laughs> right? So Isn't there a Siri gag there? Right? Yeah. Siri, send my mother my porn collection anytime yeah. somebody pulls Siri out on you? Yeah, when somebody <laughs> can you say to like somebody... Yeah, can I see your phone? phone? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Siri,
2: send my mother my porn collection. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's the gag. So, um, so Gene, who would do that? Gene Roddenberry had it all figured out. He did. Kirk says computer when he wants to talk to the computer, and then you get that little noise. Right, he waits for an acknowledgement. Wait for an acknowledgement, and now the computer's listening, but before that happens, the computer's completely dumb to whatever's going on. Right. So it turns out you can do that. Mm-hmm. But in order to do that, you, you need to know the speech recognition engine needs to know that what you said that command, wasn't a part of a sentence or right. a bigger phrase. So there's code in there that helps you do that with a wildcard command builder putting on it on either side, and then there's code that tests to see if when you get a match to see if it was part of a sentence. It right. turns out it's in the words collection. It's not that big a deal, but, you know, everything's easy when you have all the answers. Sure.
0: And so you've just sort of packaged this all up so they make it very yeah. easy to say, hey, this is the command word I want yeah, to use. Yeah, exactly.
2: Use this com- wake up command. And if you want to play a wave file when, it, uh, when it, it's just a little extra thing that it'll play a wave file, it'll fire an event anyway, yep. let you know that it woke up. And then you pass it, you know, you, beforehand you pass it the list of words or phrases that you want it to recognize, but it isn't going to recognize them until it's woken up. Right. And then it's one per one. So you you say the command, you get the Star Trek sound, which is included, by the way. And then (laughs)
0: That's great. Yeah.
2: And then you say the word or phrase, it tell it fires an event with the same you know parameters that you would normally get with a speech recognition engine, and you get access to all of it as well. Um and then, you know, you can basically it also decides that it's not a match if the confidence level
0: isn't
2: 70% or higher, right. which I think is just based on experience. And we could end idea. up doing a
0: whole show around speech, like just recognizing yeah. one voice the other. It's like, a big thing. It's, it's just,
2: just, you know, a little a smarts stuff. around uh, speech recognition. Cool. And it makes the whole process much, much, much easier. Nice. So there you go. Love it. tinyurl.com slash simplifying speech.
0: No, it, learn it, love it. Who's talking to us, Richard? Grabbed a comment off of show 816, which is wow. a while back, you know, uh, uh, 2012. Yeah. So a little over a year ago, a year and a bit ago. And this is from Julie Lerman's show on Entity Framework 5. Yeah. And this comment, uh, also about a year old, is from Brian, who says, Hey, Richard, I'm glad you asked the question about using any framework against databases other than SQL Server. Right. What I understood from the discussion that followed was that there are several providers for many different databases, including Oracle, DB2, Postgres, etc. So I know that I can use one of these providers and target Oracle, DB2 from my .NET app. We're looking at providing an application to various enterprises. Some of these organizations may use SQL Server, some Oracle, and some DB2. From what I've read, it's theoretically possible to provide multiple mappings between conceptual models and the database-specific server model. So ideally, I'd like to be able to turn my application's database dial from SQL Server to Oracle, and everything would just work. Is that level of abstraction really possible? I was wondering if Julie or anyone else had any stories from the trenches or practical advice on how to approach this situation. Is Entity Framework the answer to this? And if it's not, what is? Hmm. Uh, Brian I gotta tell you Like I know this pain Really well I have worked on products That had to support Multiple databases before mm. And the problem is That the dumbed down Abstraction was so Dumbed down It made it all databases Suck equally Right So Uh uh, but I'm really interested in throwing this to Julie just to see if she's played with it at this level as well. Because in theory, because EF does abstract away an awful lot of that stuff, it mm-hmm. ought to work. That you switch providers, it should just work.
2: Well, we'll we'll ask her about that in just a few minutes. We'll so, find out.
0: Yeah, let's we'll dig we'll into start that the conversation again. Conversation with wow. that one way or the other. I've read that question out now. So, uh, hey, Brian, a .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, just write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or on any of our mobile apps. We've got them for iOS, Android, Windows Phone, and Windows 8. And those apps were built by Diatom Enterprises. Who'd love to build you an app? Just go to DiatomEnterprises.com. And before we go any further, I need to tell you that Pluralsight provides comprehensive developer
2: training online with hundreds of hardcore developer training courses authored by MVPs, industry experts, and... .NET Rock's guests. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they release over 40 new courses a month and offer still a free 10-day, 200-minute trial with a wide range of developer training courses and in topics, including coverage of iOS, Java, Android, web development, everything web, and anything and everything Microsoft, including several courses by Julie Lerman. Woo-hoo. So try Plural site today. Subscription plans start at just $29 a month. And that brings us to Julie. Julie is a Microsoft MVP, .NET mentor, and consultant who lives in the hills of Vermont. You can find Julie presenting on data access and other Microsoft .NET topics at user groups and conferences around the world. Julie blogs at thedatafarm.com slash blog and is the author of the highly acclaimed book series entitled Programming Entity Framework. Follow Julie on Twitter at Julie Lerman. Welcome back, Julie. Julie Lerman.
0: Your the people, they love you. Yes.
1: Thanks, guys. It's always great to be here. And thank you so much for rescuing me from the deep freeze in Vermont. It was pretty bad. We yeah. always got
0: out. And we always like to be able to bring uh, out uh, a guest that doesn't normally get to, to some place, wherever that may be. No, so I've never been to never Arizona
1: been, before. Never been
0: to Arizona before. I don't think folks here have had a chance to see you as much. I know uh, Joe's around here somewhere, and uh, who's... You know, one of the community folks. Oh, so yeah. coming coming from
2: Vermont, do you want to just
0: stay here now? Are you, you going to move? Are you going to call up
2: Rich and bring the dog? And
1: no, maybe until I hear there's skiing again at Mad River, then I'll <laughs> then I'll be heading back home. Because
0: okay. <laughs> there's not a lot of skiing in Phoenix.
1: <laughs> there's uh, yeah, and there's not a lot of skiing at our house right now. Uh,
0: it's not uh, skiing uh, there either. <laughs> so I, not to, to derail the thing or dr- drive right into it right there. What did you? Any point comments on Brian's? question about the yeah. behavior vf from it, it, one database to another
1: it's not as to to take your conceptual model and point it to any database is not as totally as magical as that sounds uh the one critical thing is there's a mapping file in right. between your your model and your database so the mappings might be different from one database to another because even if you try to have your schema Name, you know, schema names, table names, things like that. The same, there are going to be differences from you know different databases, from MySQL and SQL Server and Oracle and, and things like that. Right. So, mm-hmm. so there are going to be differences in the mappings. There's another interesting thing I ran into with a client who wanted to do this, but they had a lot of really complex logic for queries. Right. And um, so they thought, well, this will be great because we'll be able to just uh, create m- queries in entity framework on the dot and the client you know on the dot net side i don 't mean the client client I mean the client of the right, server sure um, in the data access layer, and we don 't have to worry about writing all these different stored procedures because they 've got a lot of business logic in some very, very complex stored procedures right so um and they wanted that to just be the answer 100%. And Everybody f-
0: wants it just to work no matter what. Right. And, and it doesn't and work that way.
1: In the long run, uh the answer for them was the the old 80/20 rule. Mm-hmm. You know, because there are going to be some kinds of queries that are just really maybe too so hard because their their queries in the stored procedures were really really complicated. Right. So sometimes a it's uh just really too hard to express. In a link query. Yeah. Or b um, it's just the performance is just not going to be anything. And that's where I usually jumped into to where you get the logic procedure. of a stored procedure. Yeah.
0: So it, it, I've always been the head the tendency now as a database guy through and through, yeah, to actually say no, go ahead, let them do link, let them do their yeah. thing, and when it sucks, exactly,
1: when then it, all right, where stuff you got to perform, head. you know, either a performance problem or it's just you just can't express it well, right? And you can do it so easily in the stored procedure.
2: So you say you can do it so easily in the stored procedure, but I've heard from several people who say that we we bought into the entity framework and we ran into some problems, and then we decided to start chipping away some stored procedures, and they found that they you know they they were kind of sucked in because they bought into this model and found it difficult to to break out into their own store procs is that typical or is that just bad architecture
1: i i don't i don't understand what it means to be hard to break out and use Use the stored procedures just because they had put everything in. If we're yeah, talking they, about getting data, everything had, into they queries. They had
2: started everything from scratch in the Entity Framework and bought into it hundred percent, and right. ran into some brick walls. And I don't honestly, it, it's not fair to them because I'm I don't know what those brick right, walls right. are, and I don't know how they architected it, but uh, said that they you know tried to piece away and break away and.
1: Breaking away from stored procedures or breaking from the
2: entity framework, from the entity models and the queries in the, in the models, and, and tried to, to implement some stored procedures and bring those in. And, and we're just having a disastrous time. And I wonder if it's just because of bad architecture that that happens. It sounds like you're saying that if you do everything right, then you shouldn't have problems in that way.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, there's going to be. A scenario, right? There's yeah. going to be some weird thing where it's just you know, you're just going to like go out to ADO.net sure. and use a data table or something like that. But for the most part, did I hear some giggles over that?
0: Did you say ADO.net? Or did you say, <laughs> did you say data table? I don't know which one. Makes I sense.
1: said both. Yeah. They go together. Um,
0: <laughs> I didn't know which one they jumped at.
1: Oh, great. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, you
0: touched a nerve of pain. Yeah, but I
1: don't I I don't know of huge pain people are having when yeah. they want to take advantage of stored procedures. I mean, that's the nice thing about Entity Framework. They've got the flexibility of using uh, a variety of tools, make sure you know which one to use when, as in anything we do, right? Yeah. And take advantage of them. Now, m- possibly one of the problems they had, um, there is one variety of stored procedure functionality that um was not available to use with Code First, mm-hmm. but that's that and and that's changed now with Entity Framework Six, which we'll be talking about. Um, but that was is with mapping when you map a stored mm. procedure to an entity, and that's to replace um, your your CRUD. <laughs> that's the yeah. CRUD without the reading. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> CUD. <laughs> inserts. <laughs> and you know that from stuff Vermont, that comes
2: back up <laughs> from Vermont, you know cows you can cut. read about that on the data farm <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but yeah.
1: uh, you know inserts updates deletes um so mapping them directly to entities and telling entity framework okay whenever i do an insert update or delete don't do don't create the command use yeah. these stored procedures so that's stored procedure mapping so that wasn't supported for code first. Maybe that was the yeah, pain they had. Yeah, I, I guess it's but not fair because we could them, speculate
2: all day. about Yeah, what you their don't know exactly were. what the problem yeah. was. Yeah, yeah. but yeah. but
1: I can, you know, for the most part, I I highly recommend, you know, keeping you know views and stored procedures totally in mind for solving those problems with Entity Framework.
0: The uh, back to Brian's concern. Yeah, uh, I've done the cross. Database thing But we ended up doing it With complete sets of classes For each of the databases so a Complete abstraction Of the data layer So which really meant We had three compilations Of the app For three different databases mm-hmm. Right And I just want and in, Which is I mean the bulk of the code Is common It's just right. the data access layers That were different I'm just wondering If we have to go that far With EF
1: No, 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 no You should be able to You know Unless there's some Weird special scenario In one of the databases well, I guess right, You the, should it, have the same classes, and it's just how you're mapping to the database is what changes. So all the work that you're doing against the classes does is just one thing.
0: So the, I guess the question is, when the mappings are different, like what you pointed out was, mm-hmm. given I switch between databases, the mappings could be a little bit different, mm-hmm. how much does that impact my code? Like what it do sh- I need to change?
1: Sh- it shouldn't. So there I mean, should be there might be, like I said, there might be, I, I don't want to just yeah, say Yeah, it's never going to be perfect every time. Right. Right. But in but, the bulk of the
0: cases... It's the mapping. You might just have to have a separate mapping file for each platform. Right,
1: and that is the whole beauty of of having an entity framework or having an ORM that targets multiple databases. But having one compiled
0: code base and different config files, essentially, for each database, I could live with that. Yeah, yeah. That's that's doable. Yep. But,
1: you know, again, like with this this client of mine that I worked with, you know, with a very, very complex logic that... They had solved in the database already. They were a little disappointed at first when I was saying, you know, you're still going to have to, the worst of the worst of those stored procedures, you are going to have to rewrite them in Oracle also if you want to have these different duplicate systems. And and I've I've
0: always found that true going cross platform. The way that databases implement stored procedures is dramatically different between SQL Server, Oracle, heaven help you, Postgres. Uh, And I did a lot of work at Postgres, and what they think is a stored procedure is a very different creature, like just a different way of thinking about the problem. I'm not saying better or worse. I had good success with each of those databases, but you had to think differently to be successful.
1: For example, MySQL, and I'm not a MySQL expert, but I do know that there's some differences with it. Maybe it it doesn't store... Support views, I think. Right. Um And also maybe that there's something different about the primary keys. So that is something you you need to be thinking about in advance.
0: Yeah, I yeah, know Postgres was kind of the same way that it wasn't really a store procedure. It was a function. You could build your own functions and you could pass them tables if you wanted. Like it just, they behave differently. And so... The the idea that you would presume that Entity Framework would simply speak to it the same way is a mistake. Right. I mean, that being said, there's clearly a Postgres provider for Entity Framework. So we found a way to make it work, but you do have – right, no, I think, you know, you you hit on an interesting point here, which Brian is sort of suggesting, which is we don't want to learn these different databases. We just want EF to make it go away mm. for us. And that, I don't think eh, it's not going to go away, but,
1: but what you, the scope of what you have to learn is going to be a lot less.
0: Yeah. Well, let's go, uh, I wonder if you still have to learn as much, but you don't have to code as much. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I think you really do have a responsibility to know how your database works to make it work well. Of course. But the fact that you don't have to rewrite code, make yeah. multiple versions, that's that happy. You need to have
2: one guy, one Oracle guy, if you're going to do Oracle, right?
0: He, he probably works for Oracle, too. At least one. Yeah. Which is a tough thing to have. Yeah, it really Oracle is. Guys. I'm not going to be yeah. mean to Oracle people. Right. I don't need to be.
1: They're...
0: Let's move on. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great place hey, to Everybody just sort of looked at that point. Brian, I hope we answered your question. Yeah. Because uh, I think it's a great question. Building shrink wrap apps uh, is something I've worked on for many years. And a lot of people, it doesn't happen as much anymore. And the way that you think about them is very different. Yeah.
2: So, Julie, what has happened in the world of vanity framework since last year, since we last spoke?
1: Well, Entity Framework 6 was released alongside of Visual Studio 2013. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and notice I said alongside of, not inside, no, well, not, not inside of .NET, not as part of .NET Framework, okay. that is. So alongside of .NET Framework, .NET 4.5. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason that is, is Entity Framework is now an open source Product. Wow! Wow, that's very not not Wild West open source. Open source <laughs> in the same way that MVC ASP.net MVC and mm-hmm. and those products are. And
2: what is that exactly? The
1: the What's team the? has ultimate responsibility at the end mm-hmm. um, to what gets checked in, and they take they don't just go, oh, that's cool. Yeah, we'll check it in. It so goes anybody, through the whole same process.
0: Can anybody submit code? For anybody can
1: uh, submit a pull request. Absolutely, right. and and people are doing more. Um, it's more than just submitting pull requests. Um, they're, they're all of the code base is now out on CodePlex. Um, and they're doing everything very transparently, even down to detailed meeting notes and everything, you know, it's all wiki code. Codeplex is all wiki-like, so everything has a way you can interact and comments mm. and feedback and, and they're talking about everything and they see some interesting ideas. Somebody submit, wants to submit a pull request. They work with them to make sure it really fits mm. into the code base. Um, so it's, it, it's still got that kind of same guarantee that you get with .NET, you know, right. at a Microsoft product.
0: It's still supported by Microsoft. And right? supported
1: by Microsoft yeah. and goes, you know, everything goes through the same rigorous stuff, but it's been really nice to see so many, um, so many features in any framework six that's released now that have come from the community.
2: Interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. Yeah, and what, I love that a lot. What are some of the cooler things that have come from the community?
1: Um, well, there's some of them that I really love are the kinds, kinds of features that have made uh, simplifying code, like the kinds of thing you like to do, like yeah. this hard code. And somebody like me who knows any framework really well, I know how to get around that stuff and dig in and find. And, and I, you know, we've, a lot of us have made our own extension methods and things like that, a lot sure. of these utilities. So some of those kinds of things have been built in. So f- as an example of that, one I really like is to be able to just ask the context hey are there any changes in here i have to be aware of just oh, dot wow. has changes instead of drilling that, into the context like querying flag. the you know running a query over the um change tracking objects and seeing if anything's changed and you know all that stuff like you have to do like a master
2: dirty flag kind of thing yeah 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 just cool.
1: like do, you know do i need to bother with yeah, this yeah do i need to go in there yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah then that's that's just one of them um Such a good idea, as
0: long as it's right, but I'm going to presume it's always right. Yeah, sure.
1: Yeah, and uh, ability to customize how it does pluralization, that came from Spain, (laughs) because Mm. all the pluralization service right now is just an English pluralization Mm. service. So um, that's really nice to be able to do. Yeah, things like that. Yeah, Yeah.
0: okay. Hmm. So that's about getting naming right.
1: Yeah, and it's, it, that works, um, right now. That doesn't work in the designer right now. That just works for code first with mappings to tables, but nice. it's a, it's a start. When
0: you think about multi-languaging, and it, you know, I was thinking about what you were saying about how Microsoft's doing everything out in the open. I think one of the things that most people don't see is just how much work goes into Shipping a product that goes to many different countries and what, what multilingual really means. And it's not just, oh, this lurks in German too, but also stuff like pluralization is different in different countries.
1: Mm. Yeah. And we've never been able to really tap into that. It's always been fun though. And we can still do this in d- the designer because the pluralization service isn't implemented in the designer, but it's always fun to open up the designer and say, how is it going to handle this entity? How is it going to plural- pluralize it? Yeah. Right. You know, throw weird words at it, rhinoceros or whatever. <laughs> and see what happens.
0: Who's building rhinoceros entities? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, is it? I mean, it's, to me, it always seemed like EF is focused on the code-first approach. Like that's what we always end up talking about primarily.
1: Yeah, because it's so great for demos.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't, it, is I, there a bunch I, of new code-first so stuff there?
1: It's so hard to deploy. Sample databases. Right. <laughs> right. There is. Actually, I ended up writing um, a feature article for MSDN Magazine on what's new in code f- in uh, Entity Framework for Entity Framework 6. And I called it Entity Framework 6 Ninja Edition because I really feel like this is. As like, opposed to
0: Magic Unicorn Edition, which was oh, some time ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Scott
1: Hanselman. Um yeah, because, um, they've really gotten it to a point where they really, this time they really started hammering on some more advanced features, advanced usage features, cool. which was nice. So I really felt like, you know, that's what it feels, that's how it feels. Oh, and and um, but I, as usual, I ran out of room. So then I followed that up with the data points column that's specifically on the code first. So it was a subset. I didn't bother with the code first. The the features that were new that were specific to code first. So I covered those in a whole new whole separate article because get, that's that's because really there's that like much. Yeah, that's why I write nine hundred page books. Right.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so if you can give us like a a, a laundry list. What is the, and then we can maybe dig into some of these.
1: Sure. Know, the features, sure. The new um, so there, there are the kind of features that the team talks about a lot. These are like the big sexy features that I think are more, uh, uh great for a broader audience. For example, they've built in support for async. Um, async await yeah. instead of rewriting Their own way you know yeah. creating their own way Of doing asynchronous do programming that? <laughs> Well it's been done um, So you know I think people are, are Settled with async await do you yeah. think this is Going to be the so. final asynchronous yeah. solution For .NET I think so. <laughs> we've gone through a few Yeah, <laughs> um,
0: Async, yeah, async await Is so good and people Are using it I mean yeah. that's what you're really looking For in an async solution is stuff that people Can use
1: and then once you learn it you can start you just applying using it. it with other things. Yeah. It's like Link. Yeah. Oh, God, you, how did we code before Link?
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Once you, it's one of those things, once you get it right, you can't live without it. And, yeah. And, uh, I mean, I like Stephen and I like TPL and so forth. Mm-hmm. But you can live without it. Yeah, but async await is one of those things where, oh no, you can't take that away from me anymore. Well, but you can't async await without TPL. Well, under the hood, but yeah.
1: But that's all under the covers. Yes. And
0: And we, you don't want to know about that. I'm
1: not smart enough to do all that (laughs) Stephen Couch stuff. (laughs) It's (laughs) true. Goodness. Um, so anyway, the queries and updates and things like that, you can use them. They've just added the word async to, you know, all the ways to execute against the database from entity framework. Um, another thing I already mentioned was, um, the ability to do the mapping to, right. uh, in code, start procedure mapping in code first. We couldn't do that before. So that's like, to me, that's just an alignment, a catch up thing. Yeah. Um, another feature I really, really like is actually something that was targeted for the first version of code first, but they were having a hard time with it, getting it right and it was holding code-first deployment up, so yes. they set it aside, which is the uh, custom conventions. So when you're using code-first, and uh, code-first has conventions by which it makes assumptions of how you're going to be mapping to the database. So these are the custom conventions. Mm. So anywhere that those don't align with the reality of how you want your classes to map to your database, you add in mappings, whether you use data annotations or the Fluent API mappings. But there's a lot of cases where you want you want to have your own convention, your own overall rule. Um, maybe just a simplistic one is uh by default I want all strings to map to uh uh an NvarChar fifty mm. instead of well actually the, that that particular Convention is defined per provider, <laughs> so that that particular one. Yeah, well, SQL server is nvarchar, nvarchar 4000, yeah. I think. Anyway, so you can overwrite that now and say, this is my convention, so I don't want to have to repeat it for every single string in every single class. I don't want to have to repeat that convention, just that that mapping. Here's the convention, and you can apply that.
0: Well, and I appreciate that when, again, you get into multilingual things, or you get into multi, different databases handle Unicode differently. So that's another issue, you know, just presuming nvarchar everywhere is going to get you into trouble if you switch to Oracle.
1: Yeah. Well, the 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 base of that particular mapping, um, this, the provider does specify that. Right. So, you know, that's the part that I think you appreciate. I'm just saying I appreciate the fact that I don't want them all to start at 4,000. Yeah. Even though they're nvarchars, you know, I'm using SQL Server, so I don't want right. them all to start at 4,000. I can define my own. Hey, Richard.
0: Yeah, but you know what time it is? Uh, it must be that happy time again. That's right. It's time for
2: me to check the has changes property of my Microsoft stock. <laughs> okay. Really? <laughs> yeah. It hasn't it, changed in a long oh, time. Oh, it's up a bit. I know. Okay. It. No, it's time to give away a Telerik DevCraft complete collection to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. And uh, before I tell you who the winner is today. Let me tell you that this episode is brought to you by Telerik Icinium, which lets you develop, test, and publish iOS and Android apps from a single code base using HTML5 and JavaScript, all from within Visual Studio. These capabilities include comprehensive backend as a service in the cloud, integrated support for Kendo UI and jQuery mobile, as well as integrated testing and deployment capabilities. All this makes Icenium a robust end-to-end mobile app development platform for .NET developers. Telerik Icenium is available on a subscription basis and is now part of the Telerik Devcraft Ultimate Collection. Start a free 30-day trial of Icenium with support at icenium.com slash dnr. That's I-C-E-N-I-U-M dot com slash dnr. And don't forget to thank Telerik for supporting .NET Rocks. All right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Morley J. Rose.
0: All right, congratulations, Morley.
2: Yeah. Morley just won a $2,000 valued Telerik DevCraft Complete Collection. That's just about everything they do in one package. If you don't know what we're talking about, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the fan club. We have thousands of listeners all over the world. Every show, we give away a Telerik DevCraft Complete Collection and other stuff sometimes. And every December, we give away $5,000 worth of technology. We've done it twice now. Mm-hmm. Our last winner was uh, Andy Smith. Andy Smith. From Wales, and he won a nice big development uh, machine and uh, you know, laptop. And right, tablet
0: development. Tablet what he development to do. rig, just That's like cool. the last guy. Pretty close. I mean, Pretty Rob close. Rob was more about the whole Touch, Windows 8 and, and he wanted to connect, too. He wanted to connect, right. And yeah. Andy was more about working cross-platform tablet development, right. which is really interesting so situation. So he got now. a
2: Xamarin and uh, like, a He got it all. He got all that software,
0: all so he can build software any way he wants.
2: Yeah. But
0: yeah. this leads us to the next question.
2: Julie. Julie. If you had $5,000 to spend on technology today, what would you buy? And don't say another snowblower.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't
1: count oh i ju- i actually just you did just, the whole you bought
0: your new a laptop didn't you i
1: bought a, i i i bought a new laptop i bought new monitors i bought a treadmill
0: oh standing desk
1: yeah and uh and since i've seen you i also got a a standing desk that goes up and down oh okay so wait a minute is so that if a if treadmill I've got the standing desk that go, no the, the exercise the desk? Standing desk that I can sit at also. Push oh. of a button, it goes back yeah. down again. I, oh, nice. I got that work. a year ago and then I just got the treadmill to go under it. All
2: right. Does so the treadmill you can work and walk at the same time.
1: Right? Yeah. And, oh and I got a new keyboard. Microsoft, wow. the Microsoft uh, ergonomic. Oh, the split oh. keyboard?
0: No, we, no, no,
1: but with a big fat mouse, I really like. I really like. It. I it was a lot of research. I I have a hard time parting with my money. So if you're going to give me five thousand, I I would still probably research it <laughs> really, so really carefully. I gotta ask this, you a question. What yeah?
2: kind of work do you do when you're walking on the treadmill? Is it actually, good work or? I want well,
1: just? I actually would. Re- it would be more um, entertaining for me, I think, okay. to quote Michelle Bustamante, mm-hmm. who answered, "Oh, I just do brainless work." When I'm when I'm on the treadmill, and somebody said, "Oh, well, how much do you charge for that?" Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you got a brainless work rate. Nice. Oh, no, so, I can I can code. I can um uh I you know type yeah. code email. Um, do you mind
0: sharing some prices with? Like, how much did they at the desk that goes up and down cost you? Because that's that can't be that cheap.
1: It was a grand. Yeah, it's beautiful. I got it from Updesk Desk. I know. Beautiful. I know Updesk, Yeah. It's I got an. It's orange. It's really pretty. <laughs> okay, it's that's really, beautiful for you. It's Very pretty. Yeah. But it's it smooth. It's stable. It's so stable. It's mm. it's really nice. And then and shipping oh my god you they, I if i had to ship my grandmother around you yeah. know my grandmother's body i would ask them to package it oh. they did such a nice job and then
0: the treadmill too was like a specialty treadmill with a not a big thing in front so you'd have yeah it's to. just
1: they're made just for this purpose right. for standing desks so wow. it doesn't have a any kind of vertical attachment okay and it goes they're about um, another
0: grand too aren't they yeah, yeah. um
1: it goes from uh Zero to 60 in under a second now yeah. it goes. It, it only goes up to four miles an hour. Right. But, yeah. you know, I'm not going to be like running while I'm coding. Well, or. and even four I,
0: miles an hour is a really fast walk. Like, you're not even I able to read the screen. I at
1: about 1 or 1.2 right. and I can type. The only problem is I'm still getting used to it because I'll get, I'll stop working and I'll get off the, you know, like yeah, yeah. go stand. And then I'm like a little dizzy <laughs> and carsick because I've been, you know, when I'm walking, you don't walk the same right. when you're st- – on a treadmill as you do when you're on the ground, because it, it's just different. It's yeah, something a little I'm, I'm different, also so think you're moving you're, differently. You're working really
0: hard to hold your head steady so you can see what you're doing, mm. more than you do when you normally walk.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, because, well, it's just that I'm doing this. It's mm. weird. Anyway, but it's it's great, you know, and I'm, I'm not using it all day long. Um, but still, you know, I'm walking like two or three miles a day while I'm Instead of just standing there. Right, because, sure. you know, A just sitting all day. Was yeah. never great. So I had the standing desk for a year before I got the treadmill. So I would be stand, I was probably standing about 80% of the time. And every once mm. in a while, i would be like, Oh yeah, I got to sit again. But I would be even a little stiff and sore from standing in mm. one place. Sure. I'm not moving around a lot. So it, it's more about moving than, than That's anything else. That's pretty cool. I got to tell you. Yeah. It's interesting an interesting
0: too. idea. But is there a, a set of when you're working in your day in the walking mode, is there a chunk of work where you look at it and go, I'll wait till I'm sitting to work on that?
1: Oh, I wouldn't do anything like um, recording a Plural Sight video. Is that from a noise yeah. perspective? No, well, uh, no, it's actually not that noisy, but it's too—it's too much movement when I'm I recording. I just you know okay. want to be still. So. <laughs> 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 or editing you know yeah. editing i you know i really fine need to be fine tuned i have yeah. a hard enough time with my my uh trembling hand as it is so yeah something like that but so far you know email and whatever and then the other thing i've been doing um and this is my desperation of you know waiting for ski season and i still want to be able to eat what i want yeah <laughs> but i'm not outdoor skiing right now um I'll put the desk all the way up. I've got my road bike on a, um, on a stand and I pull it up and I watch Doctor Who and I ride my bike.
2: Oh, wow. (laughs) That's that's cool. (laughs) It's awesome. I was looking for a stand. Can you send me a link to where I can find it? Yeah. Send me a link. Okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Road bike stand. Yeah. Road bike stand. Yeah. Good. So yeah, that's weird.
1: So, boy, well, those right, hey, let us get grand. back to Entity
2: Framework. Yeah, exactly. that's at least
0: five grand. Yeah. And you, I got one of those. Get all those gadgets. And you've got one of the new, little oh. Samsung. We're looking at the little Samsung Series oh, I 9. I love my laptop. Very pretty machines.
1: That's Next generation Ultrabook months.
0: all the way. All right,
2: so we were t- going down the list of new features in Entity yeah.
1: Framework. Well, it's a, it's a long list. And actually, the, there is the list, um, just as a kind of short, with a short paragraph, on the CodePlex site. Like, just like, boom, 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 boom. Um, what I did with my article, so it's entityframework.codeplex.com. Right. What I did with my article for MSDN magazine was I went through all of them across, you know, that and the data points. But then I really dug into them. Instead of just saying, repeating the paragraph and repeating the thing, I really dug in and yeah. got a better understanding of of what they meant. Um and that was fun to play with things because um, just reading the little, you know, headline and de- and couple sentence description, in a lot of cases, I didn't really have a full understanding of what they were talking about. And by playing with it, it made me really, oh, wait a minute. Yeah.
0: What's well, one of the things I've always appreciated about your book, Julie, is that. You always have this, you... Books. Yes, books. <laughs> but the Entity Framework <laughs> <of> book, <laughs> the Entity Framework series, yeah. is that you have a way of drilling into a feature that I feel like you explored this feature, and oh, oh by yeah. the way, and you really want to know, and you really want to know. It's not just the somewhat clinical explanations that the guys who built it give. Right. It's all of this, you, you're you good at capturing the things that you found while you were there.
1: Right, my own curiosity about it.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: um, Like, and... For example, another example, um one of the f- features that's listed on their list and there's a lot of like articles that are just basically copying and pasting the list like oh, EF6. One of them was idempotent uh migration scripts for code first migrations. Mm-hmm. Now I didn't even know how to s- I didn't even know what that word was. I'm sorry, I was a history major, not a database kind of person, right? So idempotent is oh and then then I had to look up how to pronounce it. <laughs> right? I had to look up what it meant and how to pronounce it. Um and in the end what it means is this with the code first migration scripts, there's a way now to be able to create a migration script. So this isn't actually executing the migration, but creating the SQL that you can then execute on the database or give to a DBA professional, mm. database professional. Um, but it'll create a script that is aware of all of the migrations that is that have happened on the database. And it'll look on your database that you're about to run the script on, say, has this migration been run yet? Yes? Okay, we'll skip it. Mm-hmm. Has this migration been run yet? Yeah, no. Okay, so we'll start here and we'll we'll run through the rest of the migrations instead of just saying here's a migration, boom, do it, and you don't know what state that particular database is in.
0: Interesting, yeah. Because I mean, Microsoft Data Tools does a lot of that stuff for you. Yeah,
1: I, we've talked about those before. I yeah. never really spent a lot of time with the Data Tools.
0: Like I really like if the entity framework list just came off as a set of schema and you sort of say, this is the schema you need to be at and the data tools then does a direct compare, gets the database to the schema changes, writes the script on the fly. But you're an IT guy. Well, but I'm also dealing with customers where, I mean, we're trying to go so fast now that you want, you, you just want the schema as part of the code base. So that it's checked in with everything else. So you actually have a deployment package well, that has all that information in it.
1: What's in the data what's stored in the database when using code first migrations, what's stored in the database is the schema of the model. Right. And then entity each entity framework then looks at that model and and your mappings if you've had any you've added any mappings and then is able to infer the full scheme, the real scheme of the database. So it stores that and then it looks to see, you know, what's changed between your model now as you define it, because we're starting from the code model, we're not starting from the database. So looking at your code model and how I'm going to infer based on your model, based on your classes and based on your mappings, how I'm going to infer this model how is what's changed since the last one that got stored in the migration history file? Right, and then it it decides then. Um, so we it need is to generating this that delta column, list. and we need to remove this, and we need to change that.
0: But when does that actually apply to the database?
1: When you either you can in um, the new get command window PowerShell the PowerShell window, right? Um, you can. There's a better. There's a much more appropriate name for that. It's just not in my head right now.
2: Package manager? Console? Console, yeah, yeah
1: which is PowerShell. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> um, you can literally create the migration script and then say update the database directly from the migration script. Or you can say update database-script, dash and it will create uh, the SQL, T-SQL or O-SQL, whatever. It'll create the SQL and then you take the SQL and then you, you execute it, to it however you want.
0: Yeah, you, maybe you need to pass it through DBA, maybe you don't. But right. the whole the main thing for me is that there's no chance that script's going to fail. That, that script was basically generated from the state of the database as it was, and this, uh, and also against the schema that EF believes that we need and knows no, what the difference. No, it's is. not.
1: It's not looking at the database. It's looking at
0: and so the scary this, part here is, and this I is where understand. you run into with DBAs, right, is you're complaining about performance in the database. So the DBA goes in and says, oh, you know, we have the wrong type here. He makes a change to the database directly, which has a positive impact on performance. But an EF knows nothing about it. Right. So how do – and then you come well, along.
1: then you – Gotta have an awareness of what types of things the migration, migrations are possible to do. Because right. migrations really, unless you've, um, added in some extra code to do things, migrations aren't creating triggers and adding indices and things like that. Right. Migrations are focused on, uh, it's tables pure. and properties.
0: Yeah, pure entity stuff. Yeah. What's in the table? What's in the column? So anytime a DBA makes a change in a table or column like that, EF's yeah, not going to know you, about it. You yeah, know, then you're then, in danger. Right. But isn't it... Well, isn't then you've data, got it
1: making a commitment. Are you, you know, where... Where are those where, changes going to live? Where are you going to make the changes? There is a DBA
0: more apt to do an index or or a trigger or something like that? To totally depends. Really? I mean, that's the narrative the issues. And like, all constraints are now associated to the table directly. So I can go and make a modification to a constraint. Because it may have a performance impact.
1: So years ago, I think, I don't know if it was when the first version of Entity Framework came out was out mm-hmm. we we had a conversation about it and one of the things we talked about was this possible future um position of the the person who's responsible for that right that understanding you know kind of like the person is responsible for the mapping right, right? that in between the so they box. understand what's going on 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 both ends and having some control over that
0: yeah i think it's constant battle and it and they, the well, main.
1: It, why does it have to be a battle? Why can't it be a collaboration?
0: Well, because yeah, because I'm sorry, you, I'm a Libra. Yeah, but <laughs> you, 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 so on one along. hand it's like you you want to tell to be like just don't change those things. Okay, and so here's the negative outcomes. You go to and the worst negative outcome is you go to do the update and it fails for a mysterious reason. Right, like you go to put the new version of the application out, and so it goes to update the database, not knowing about a constraint change. And the install fails. And, and the worst worse than that is when the next version works for a mysterious reason. Oh, yeah. yeah. But you're in, in the, it's a problem of being in an unknown state. Right. I would be happy, which is where we talk about the data tool approach, where what the data tool approach would say is, hey, that constraint is not the constraint that the new schema requires. It doesn't matter that I ever knew about it. I'm just going to make it go away and keep moving ahead so that you always succeed. The most important thing Maybe here is we that we
1: need to use them together then.
0: Well, I wonder if they're actually the same thing.
1: They're they're not because the the code first migration code first and the code first migrations is focused on your model, Scheme not your model. database, right. the schema of the model, and then its understanding of what the database schema is based on your model. The entity framework all about
2: hey the database we got that you that's the whole idea right. is to abstract the database away so. Yeah, Once it
1: just
0: you start mucking around is, in there. You've you've sort that of gives broken me, the contract. I, I'm yeah, so you, worried
1: about committing to that. Well, though, you should be the, afraid, yeah, because we, it
0: could be changed. Yeah, and then you get into this. I mean, the, the scary part here is you might get half a dozen changes in successfully, and then one fails. And does it back up and unroll those changes, or is it just going to stop at that point and Go, I broke. Let me
1: know how you do. What the mig? Well, the migration. The migration. Well, you have the ability to. Um, Roll them back. Right. Another another important point I think about uh, the code first migrations is there is an automatic migrations feature, which um, is really not anything you can have any control over. Right. So that's off by default. You could turn it on, but that's off by default. And it's I think it's really important if you're going to do migrations, especially in your if you're you know in an enterprise, you want to have total control of them, and you can roll them back. You can apply them from here, there, you can say, roll it back to this point.
0: Right. Well, and being able to roll back database changes is voodoo for most people, right? They Just presume that there's no way to actually do that.
1: I I think maybe the most important thing is to understand, you know, it's not magic. You still have to know what's going on. Sure. And, you know, with your database. And and, and,
0: to be clear, this whole line of conversation came around with you mentioning this idea that you can generate transcripts scripts to hand to a database professional. And in an enterprise environment, I think most of the time you, that's the situation you're going to be in. So this idea that that uh, you could have a code forced model with a DBA that's still ruling very strictly, where oh, you're simply going to get here's the changes I'd like.
1: Can you make sure they look okay to you?
0: Right Please. now, recognizing, <laughs> yeah, if they say no. There's not a lot of option, right? Now, how do you... Okay, well, I don't like this change. Don't make that change. It, like, actually figuring out how to get to that change. It's to go change. back
1: and, you know, muck with the mappings right. to get things right. And also, again, to have a clear understanding of what migrations will touch in the database and what they won't touch in the database. Right. Another, from the community, new feature in Entity Framework 6 is the ability to create custom migrations. So migrations... Uh, the Migrations API handles... Um, you know, a, a set of, uh, object types in a database, mm-hmm. you know, properties and, um, start procedures and tables and columns and, you know, some stuff like that. Um, and then up until we had the ability to, to have custom migrations, if you wanted to do anything else that was, you were running from a migration, you'd just have to like literally insert some SQL. Mm-hmm. And and uh, have that happen, but now it's possible to actually create migration a migration API that understands other pieces of the database cool. that you can act. You can then add into your migration file.
2: Julie, is there anything we need to uh, know or be aware of when working with uh, EF against Azure SQL Azure
1: um, as opposed
2: to our own SQL database?
1: for the for the most part there's not a lot you have to worry about which is really nice, nice. That's um nice. yeah but again you know understanding your tools knowing what's going on there's some additional protection that's been added actually in two levels in .net 4.5 they did it for um ado.net and also they've done it in entity framework 6 which is that they've built in better handling of transient connections So a connection that might, um, be unachievable for just like a moment. And, and it's not so much that you're, you know, you lost your connection to, to the internet, to your, to the cloud. Uh, but it might be something where the database is sending back a message that said, sorry, you know, I'm in the middle of this process. You can't do that right now. Mm -hmm. There's actually a known list of, um, specific error. Numbers, error codes that come back from the SQL server, like SQL for SQL server, yeah. specific list of errors that come back from SQL server. And there's been, people have been writing these for a bunch of years, actually, um, a handler that will look for these, and these are the ones that come under the umbrella of transient connections, that will look for these errors and then do a retry. Just a retry, yeah. Right. So that's not built in, to like automatically built into Entity Framework. But Entity Framework now has a new class called the Oh
2: Well it's all right. Whatever. We don't need to know what it's the, called. For the
1: connection resiliency. Yeah. And then um, you can. It's a base class, and one of its implementations is specifically of this. Uh, this may, might be SQL Azure exception handler or something mm-hmm. like that. So it's f- specifically for Azure, nice. and it's um, specifically looking for those error codes, and we'll do a retry if it oh, gets a fail great. for that reason. Awesome. So that's that's really nice. You have to apply it. Sure. You have to you have to set it, um, but but that's there, and that handles that instead of writing all that code. Yeah. And you can make custom ones as well.
2: Yeah, well, that's great. That's something I think we need to do on our site. You know, we occasionally we get these timeouts. Yeah. That last very you know and it may or seconds. may not be
0: Azure. It might be the internet barfing. Like there's something right. going Something's on. Right. going on? And you yeah. have to be tolerant to it. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, and you can
1: you can specify how many times to retry over mm-hmm. uh, what amount of time. And they'll even have a um, a little factor in there. So if say you've got uh, multiple servers that you're not Retrying all of them at the exact same time, it'll kind of space them out.
0: Nice,
2: that's cool. Yeah, that is cool. So, no, there are no other things that we need to any gotchas or anything when working with SQL Azure. I, or, I think or that was features? the biggest.
1: That was the biggest worry. Yeah. But even you know, code first. Well, you can let code first generate a database, and you can run migrations against that's against cool. Azure as well as you know use a model in EDMX.
2: Hey, before we wrap up, does anybody in the audience have a question for Julie? Raise your hand. Yeah, sir. Go ahead. Yeah, uh, you know, just question on uh, the async capabilities. Uh, one of the things that I need is really the ability to create, call a store procedure, and and uh, not worry about the connection return and be able to continue along on with the code with the async await functionality that they've introduced. Into the, uh, does that handle the store procedure?
1: I'm, I'm trying to remember very quickly. I know that it's all of the link execution methods like to list and first and first or default. They all have async. DB set has find async. I'm trying to remember if DB context that it makes sense that it does. I just can't remember off the top of my head if the execute SQL command, um, if those, those, Methods that you can use against DbSet and also against DbContext, if they have async counterparts. You're pretty strange if they didn't. It would be weird if they didn't. I just I'm I'm I've even been I listed them all. I'm working on an NA Framework six course for Plural Site, and I remember listing them all. And I'm just trying to picture in my head.
0: And just to be clear, I, do you not care about the Start Procedure return at all, or is it? Yeah, so you don't care about the return at all.
1: Hiring, uh, a process to happen. Outside
0: yeah, so it's you know, something like a logging call, right? Where I don't, I don't really care what oh, comes back. Oh, you're not go even waiting it, and don't wait for it, right? Like you don't even care what the await is. Yeah, I just
1: want to start. A oh, process. that that even is not yeah. something you need to worry about with async.
2: You wouldn't await it at all, then. Yeah, yeah.
1: That's a just a fire and forget. You could, you can all, you can do that without even yeah, without use awaiting. leveraging the async.
0: Yeah, so, yeah. Okay. And it just won't wait. Anybody
2: else got a question? Yeah, right here in the front.
1: Um, is there a way to kind of like have a custom user type? So if I have like a a URI
2: property on a entity and I want to store a URI in uh, like in varchar, is there a way to tell Entity Framework just to new up a URI for that?
1: Oh, yeah. I've actually been asked that specific one, that specific example of the URI. If it's possible to map, uh. It's not even just custom types, but, you know, there's a bunch of .NET types. The entity framework knows how to map to, to databases. What about the other ones? Or what about a custom one? Um, and unfortunately, no, it, it, it can't. So if you have a URI type that's your own, whether it's .NET's URI or your own special type, um, it does, it won't understand how to do that. So you'd have to map it to a string and then have some extra handling for it. Hey, I think that's a great great one to add. Um, it's open source, you know, You can, if you, you figure it out. You want can... it,
0: write it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Isn't that an awful answer? Yeah, it's evil. <laughs> no, it's, it's not it in there, but you can write it. We're waiting Go on you it. now.
2: <laughs> Another question. Anyone? Yeah.
0: Uh, I've got probably a dumb question. I'm not sure that I'm using the entity framework. I use, like, the DBML, and I design
1: the drag tables. <laughs> nope. I'm not using the entity framework. Nope missing a ton of stuff Is is DBMl linked linked to link to sequel? Yeah, it's like to SQL. Yeah. Yeah, that's linked to sequel. So linked to sequel is a smaller lighter weight ORM. It's what the other team net. was
2: working on while Entity Framework was being written.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and then they both Oh yeah, that was my I had a I talked about that in is the a, last roadshow. You're the
2: good old boys?
1: Wait a minute. Yeah, that was really Link to SQL. C- there was one team working on Link to SQL. They were working on Link, and so they just they started doing Link to SQL. And over here, There's the data team. team was doing Entity Framework, and then they kind of went.
0: Yeah, Link to oh, SQL shipped first, shit. and then Entity Framework <laughs> came out a little bit later. And then mommy and daddy started fighting. Yeah, and all the babies were sad.
2: Yeah. <laughs> all right, well, that's it for Don't .NET Rocks. How about a big hand for Julie Lerman?